Second Thessalonians chapter three. Let's do a, a little bit of review. Um, what's the outline of Second Thessalonians? Chapter one is comfort. Chapter two. Thank you. Clarification. I thought some of you were going to say very painful, but uh, clar- <laughs> clarification. Chapter 3, correction. Ron gets an A today. He remembered all that. Um, uh, what, uh, Sharon, was, Sharon was giving you the answers, right? Or Yeah, okay. Actually, uh, that is somewhat uh, of, a, of an overgeneralization because chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 really are a culmination or um, a wrap-up of all that has gone before. Um, and, I, and I get that by, if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says, finally, brothers. Now, what happens when a preacher says, finally? Well, we would hope, but uh, I've been in some churches where preachers say that and then it goes another 20 minutes. This is a conclusion. This is a wrap-up. He says, finally, brothers, and now we're going to look at what he says. Now, remember, chapters and verses were not added to the Bible until centuries later. So, um, don't let the fact that a chapter, a new chapter starts here break the train of thought because he is now wrapping up what he has said before. Now, the question is, what is he wrapping up? Well, probably wrapping up from what we now call chapter 2, verse 1. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Now, concerning the coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, chapter 2, verse 1, he is starting a new topic. And now, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally. So, verses 1 through 5 are wrapping up Chapter 2, if you remember all that we covered in chapter 2. The coming of the Lord and the man of lawlessness and uh, all, of these, all of these things that the church had become uh, so confused about and concerned about. And, and, and it's, it's interesting to me how Paul concludes that topic or that area of discussion. Because look at what he says. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Uh, it's interesting, if, if, if you look at all that he has taught them, and, and by teaching them, taught us in chapter 2, how he concludes it. Very much of a pastoral uh, wrap-up. Um, he doesn't really address what he's been talking about. This conclusion is a. It's almost as if a he is pastoring this church, and now he says one thing to them. And what does he say? What does he say in verse one? Finally, brothers, pray. Now, here's the danger in preaching a sermon about prayer. Every single one of you are going. Yeah, I'm all for it. 
Uh, I'm all for it. I know I'm supposed to. And, and so everything starts shutting down, <laughs> right? Because I already know, I already know that, that I'm supposed to pray. Well, hopefully, um, things will be a little different, a different aspect of prayer that Paul introduces to us uh, through the church in Thessalonica. So he says, um, and, and by the way, really quickly, it's just a really easy outline. And that is a prayer requested and a prayer rendered. A prayer requested and a prayer rendered. Very simple. Obviously, only five verses. So what's the prayer requested? He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, who's us? Paul, Timothy, yeah. Uh, sometimes Paul uses a plural pronoun it, it, um, to refer to himself. Because he doesn't, Paul was a very humble man, and he doesn't, he didn't want to sound self-serving. Uh, and sometimes he used us because he was, in fact, traveling with. He usually traveled with a group of people. Not that it makes a big difference, but um, just to let you know that sometimes us doesn't necessarily. Paul, when Paul uses us, sometimes he's re- referring to me, and uh, doesn't want to say me. He wants to say us. So us could be. Paul, it certainly includes Paul, it could be Timothy, Silas, or really anyone who, as we look, anyone who is engaged in proclaiming the gospel. Pray for us, he says. So he requests prayer. Now, this is not uncommon in Paul. Uh, Keep your marker here. You should have a, most of us have ribbons in our Bible. Take your ribbon, mark your Bible here. Turn to Ephesians, go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verse 17. This is the end of uh, his teaching on the armor of God. He says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, let's stop there for a minute. What is one of the things that God expects us to do? To pray for each other. And to pray for all the saints. To pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. We we are to be a praying people. Pray for all the saints. And, he says, also for me. Pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, if there's anyone that I, I would think really didn't need prayer to open his mouth and proclaim the gospel, would be the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul himself says, Pray for me. Pray for me that I may open my mouth and proclaim the gospel. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. Let me read that again. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And pray... It's a continuation of what he's praying. And pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
So Paul says, pray for me, and not just pray for me, but pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I ought to, as I need to. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 25. If you remember back, seems like ages ago, very simple, he says, brothers, pray for us. Okay, we're going to memorize scripture this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Everybody, brothers, pray for us. You just memorize scripture. Pray for us. Over and over and over again, Paul said, I need you to pray for me. And if you noticed what seemed to be a common aspect of that prayer, it almost always related to the gospel. In fact, second, look now at Second Thessalonians 3 again. He says, pray for us, and then he mentions two things that he wants them to specifically pray about. He said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So the first thing he says I want you to pray about And when you pray about me, is to pray for the word of the Lord. Now, there's two aspects of this word of the Lord. And and, and if you want, you can insert the word gospel there. Because the gospel is not just the message of salvation. It's not just the Romans road. Anybody here grew up with the Romans road? Remember that? Uh, All the verses in Romans. It's a great tool to share the message of salvation. But remember, when the Bible talks about the gospel, it's not limited just to the Romans road or the four spiritual laws or the bridge to life, whatever we may use and think of. But it's really all of God's revelation. It's all of God's body. It's the scriptures. All of this is the gospel. So what, oftentimes when you hear the gospel, don't limit it just to you know, the message of salvation, but, but the, the proclamation of the whole will of God. Okay? So he says, I want you to pray for that the word of the Lord would do what? One thing, he said, the first thing, that it may speed ahead. Now, what do you picture when you hear the phrase speed ahead? I, I picture when, uh, when we travel uh, and I'm in one car and my wife's in another car. Or um, even in town. Probably better to talk about in town. When we're going to drive someplace and she's going to follow me, all right? Um, sometimes she has a difficult time because I have a tendency to speed ahead. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't want to hold you up. I speed ahead. So what? When we think of speed ahead, what what do you think that that has a a concept for in terms of the gospel. He's talking about the extent of the gospel. In other words, there's a, there's a sense in which when the, when the gospel is taught, that, that it, 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 it can speed ahead. So he's praying for the extent. Think of it in terms of to, to speed quickly or to spread quickly. Go back to 1 Thessalonians, if you would. Let, let me show you what I mean. First Thessalonians, if you remember, chapter 1, verse 7, or verse 6. And you became imitators of us, of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what he's referring to when he says, I pray that it may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And he said that it, you received it amidst much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, in, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So Paul is saying, I want you to pray for the gospel and I want you to pray for the fact that it will spread quickly, that it will spread rapidly, and it will enjoy unhindered progress. When was the last time we prayed that? I often hear people say, I don't know what to pray for. Or or I don't know who to pray for. Or I don't know what to pray for. Well, here's one thing you can pray for. You can pray for the gospel. That that when, as the word is proclaimed, as the word is taught, as the word is preached, and especially in mission in mission context where the message of salvation is being proclaimed, that it would that it would speed quickly, that it would be unhindered, that it would that it would enjoy unhindered progress. He says, "I want you to pray for us." And the first thing he says is, I want you to pray that the, the word of the Lord may speed, may spread quickly with unhindered progress. So he's talking about the extent of the gospel. Number two, he says, oh, by the way, and he says, and, and that it would be honored. Now, what does it mean to be honored? I take that to mean that um, it would be received. He's talking about not extent at this point, but he's talking about reception. That it would be received, not just that it would spread, but that it would be received. It would be received by those that they acknowledge it as truth and they embrace God's offer of salvation. This is the sense of being honored. That it, They didn't just hear it and go, that's nice. But that they would hear it for what it really was and what it really is and respond and receive His salvation. Again, turn back to 1 Thessalonians because he says, as it has happened among you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is what we pray. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but, at, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is the work in you believers. So he says, I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray for the word of the Lord, that it would, it would spread quickly, that it would enjoy unhindered progress, and that it be received, that it would be honored, that, that by those who acknowledge its truth and embrace God's offer of salvation. So he says, you need to pray. You need to pray for the Word of the Lord, which is, which is fascinating to me. When we think of prayer, we normally think of people. I pray for Regis, I pray for Dan, or... I pray for Ruth, and, and we have. It, it, it was kind of foreign to me sometimes to think of to praying for the gospel. But he says, I want you to pray for the word of the Lord, that it would speed ahead, that it would spread quickly, that the extent would continue to grow, and that it would be honored, that it would, that people would respond, that they would hear it, that they would acknowledge it as the as not just the word of men, but as the word of God, and that they would believe. I want you to pray for the word of the Lord. But number two, he says, I want you to pray for the messenger of the word. I want you to pray for the word of the Lord, but I also want you to pray for the messenger of the word. Again, look at verse one. Pray for us. And really, 
what what should follow is verse 2. Pray for us that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So he says, first of all, I want you to pray for the word of the Lord. Now I want you to pray for the messengers of the word. Again, we see this over and over again. This is really what he's talking about when he says, I want you to pray for me. And, in fact, we read those passages. Now, what did we pray? What is he asked to pray about? Two things, right? What is it? Actually, one thing. That we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Uh, I like this. I like this one of the many things I like about God's Word. It has no problem talking in categories of people as being evil and wicked. In our politically correct culture, we sometimes have a difficult time speaking in these kind of categories. Evil and wicked men. Evil and wicked people. Do we understand that this world has evil and wicked people? Now, here's what happens typically. You say, well, yeah, I know that. They're the ones that are out there going into schools and shooting people up. By the way, that's not mental illness. That's, that's evil. That's wicked and evil. You know, we think of people who rob stores and, and, uh, and we, that's typically what, what we think of. We have a hard time thinking in terms of, uh, of others who are maybe look just like us, dress like us, being evil and wicked people. But let's stop and ask ourselves, why do we have a difficulty speaking in these kind of categories? We want to be nice, you know, uh, kind of who am I to judge, those kinds of things. But uh, from the very mouth of Paul, he says, I pray that I may be delivered from evil and wicked men. Now, it's interesting, um, just in this very church, they would have understood what he meant. Would they have not? Remember, what was this church enduring? Persecution. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Remember, we went through Acts. Turn all of Acts to Acts chapter 17. They would have known exactly what Paul meant when he said, I want you to pray that I may be delivered from evil and wicked men. Let's look at some evil and wicked men. Acts chapter 17. Verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he was doing what? Preaching the, the Word of God. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for, for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few leading women. So, in their case, the gospel was received and honored. But the Jews were jealous and taking some, what kind of men? Wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying There's this, there is another king, Jesus. These are evil, wicked men. Uh, turn back to 1 Thessalonians. To 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. And in fact, we see this, this wrath fully manifested in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. He says, I want you to pray that you deliver me from evil, wicked men. For not all have faith, he says. In other words, we should expect that when the Gospel is proclaimed and when the Word of God is taught, when the Word of God is preached, we should expect that there will be evil, wicked people and that it will provoke hostility. That it will not be honored, but in fact it will be not only rejected, but it will provoke, oftentimes provoke hostility. Paul, Paul doesn't sugarcoat this. He says, I want you to pray for me. So I want you to pray for the Word of the Lord. I want you to pray for the messenger of the Word. That was the prayer requested. Second Thessalonians. But now, he, don't, he doesn't just request a prayer. He gives a prayer. Now he renders a prayer. Look with me at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So he gives, first of all, an expression of confidence. And what's, what's his confidence in prayer? The Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. The faithfulness of the Lord. And he says that, in fact, the Lord will do what? Establish you and guard or protect you from what? What does your Bible say? Evil one or evil. Which is it? Here's what's interesting. This is the very same, very same phrase used in Matthew 6.13. Just, this is just a tidbit. Matthew 6.13. Verses 9-13 through 13 are what we call the Lord's Prayer. At the end of the Lord's Prayer... He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from... We always learn that as deliver us from evil. This is the same phrase. Deliver us from... It could very well be the evil one. Very same phrase as in Second Thessalonians 3. As, as Jesus included in His prayer. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Now, now I ask myself, wait a minute, God, I thought you were sovereign. I thought that, uh, that, that, that you put a hedge of protection around me. Why do I have to pray this? Again, it's interesting that the Bible never treats God's sovereignty in a way that we can, can sit back and say, you know, God's got it all under control. He does, but that means I don't have to pray. That, that means nothing. I don't have to be responsible. I, I just sit back and let God do His thing. That's not what we seem to see in the Scriptures. He said that I pray that you will be delivered from the evil one. Which also tells you what? The evil one is involved in trying to affect us. And obviously Paul deals with that more specifically in his letter to the church in Ephesus. 
and the spiritual armor, but he says, in fact, a prayer rendered, an expression of confidence that the Lord is faithful, that he will establish you and he will guard you against either evil or the evil one. Whichever, I don't, I don't know there's a great deal of difference because the evil one is all about evil. And evil involves the evil one. But he starts, interesting, he starts this prayer rendered with an expression of confidence. I am confident that the Lord will be faithful to you. And you need to hear that this morning. The Lord will be faithful to you. He will establish you. He will keep you grounded. And He will protect you from the evil one. Now, our job is to do what? Starts with B, rhymes with E-leave. We need to believe that. You're probably not going to feel that. You have to believe that, that the Lord is, going to, is, is faithful and He will continue to establish you and He will protect you from the evil one. So he, he, Paul starts with an expression of confidence in the Lord's faithfulness, but then he has an, an expression of confidence in their faithfulness. Look with me back at verse 5. Or verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. We have confidence in you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Do you see the, 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 the dual responsibilities here? God is faithful. He will establish you. But you need to be doing what? You need to be doing the things that we command. And we know that you are, and we know that you will continue to do that. So, this expression of confidence is both confidence in what God is doing and God will do in their life, but also confident in their responsibility, them fulfilling their responsibility to, to, to walk in obedience to the Lord. We, we see this in... For instance, in Philippians 2.12, when he says uh, that, that continue to work out what God is working in you. And when Paul says, I'm convinced that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. The Lord is faithful, but we have a role and we have a part in that as well. And that is to walk in obedience to His commands. Now, when we say commands, it, it, it's not the Ten Commandments. But we walk in obedience to the Word. It's interesting to me. Remembering the book of Galatians, when Paul confronts Peter, why did anybody remember or know why Paul confronted Peter in public in Galatians chapter 2? It says he was not walking in line with the Gospel. In other words, he was not walking consistently with the Gospel. He wasn't living consistent with the Gospel. And that whole scenario, by the way, it is just... just Unbelievable to me. Two, one apostle calling out another apostle in public. No one is above being, no one's above reproach. But, he says in fact that um, I pray um, that, that in confidence that, that the Lord will establish you, that the Lord will protect you, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and you will do the things that we command. And now really to the heart of the prayer. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. 
What does direct mean? Does he say that God asks your permission? Is is Paul saying, I pray that you allow him to direct your hearts? No. He says, I'm praying that God will sovereignly direct your hearts to do two things, or, or or one thing. What is it? To the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Now, what do we call that? What do we call love of God, steadfastness of Christ? It's a genitive, which describes some kind of relationship. So let's look at love of God. I I pray that he'll direct your hearts to the love of God. What does love of God mean? It could be, yeah, it could be the love. I pray that he will direct you into the love that he gives, the love that comes from God, or the love, exactly, or the love that I give to him. He would lead, that he would direct your hearts to love him, or he would direct your hearts into receiving love from him. What do you think it is? Could be both. Um, probably, um, probably the love that God has for them. I, I want, I pray that the Lord will direct your hearts to experience the love of God. Now, it wouldn't rule out that He would direct your hearts to love God more, but probably, I take this probably to mean more of a subjective genitive, that they would receive the love of God. But number two, the steadfastness of Christ, or endurance of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What are the options? What's that? To endure for him or to endure an endurance that is given to me from him okay let me let me those two options again the endurance of Christ that that I endure on his behalf steadfastness for Christ or that he, he would grant he would he would give to me endurance again probably both could be both. But, I, but I, I probably take this more as an objective genitive. In other words, that, that, God would, that, that, that God would give you the endurance that Christ had. That you would endure the same way Christ endured. That God would give you that kind of endurance. That He would direct your hearts to experience the love of God and that He may grant you the same kind of endurance that Christ had in His life, His earthly life, and all that He experienced. Well, what are we talking about here? Two conclusions, or two parts of the conclusion. And that is, preachers need prayer. Preachers need prayer. And this is the difficult part because it can awfully seem really self-serving. Um... Turn over quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, Preachers need prayer. Paul said to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself, on your life, and on your teaching. There are two things that are important for a pastor, for a preacher, and that's not just his preaching, but his life. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for preachers. Pray for the messengers of the Word, that their lives would be 
holy and pure and, and have integrity and be humble. All the things that God expects them to be. You need to pray for me. Now, I don't know the last time you prayed for me. My wife will give you a lot of prayer requests. If you have anything you want to know what to pray for, ask Vicki. She'll give you a lot. You need to be praying for me. And, and simply, if for another reason, as a messenger of the Word. How many of us have known of, either through personal experience in churches that we've attended or certainly we've heard about, where men who filled this, these kind, these, these men who filled the pulpit have gone off off the rail, not doctrinally, but what morally, who've committed adultery, uh, who've been deceptive. You need to pray for me. You know what? I, I always tell myself there's uh, there's a part of me that says I don't I can't ever possibly conceive of that ever happening to me. I love my wife. I love my family. I love this church. You know, the, the thought of having to face you well, after my family, the, the thought of having to face you with something like that. I, I, in, in, in my whole being, I can't possibly conceive of ever doing something like that. But you need to pray for me in that respect, for my life. Number two, you need to pray for doctrine, doctrinally. Man, alive, I don't know what's going on in the church today. You talk about pastors going off the rail, doctrinally. And they are accountable to nobody. Um, one of the great things about being in a smaller church is you have the permission... Well, I've, I've often told Tom and Neil this, that if I start going off the rail... They have permission to beat me severely about the head and neck and shoulders. Um, and that's what some of these pastors need. But first of all, I wonder how it might have been different if someone had been praying for them. Preachers need prayer. But number two, preachers need to pray. <laughs> our, our outline, a prayer requested. Paul says, pray for me. But then he does what? He prays for them. So preachers don't just need prayer. They need to pray. And I often wonder how many preachers, how many pastors really pray for their churches. And I'm not talking about praying for attendance. I'm not talking about praying about giving. I'm talking about praying for their members. Preachers need to pray. So preachers need prayer and they need to pray. Uh, for those of you that may be interested, I use, as I pray for you guys, I use a phone app. This is the one time I encourage you to use your phone for something. It's called Echo. E-C-H-O. It's a fabulous prayer app. And I have all your names in there. And I have uh, some general prayer requests. And then as I, as I know specific things, I, 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 it's, it's a, I could show you, but it's a phone app. And then you can set reminders. So it literally notifies me. Boop, pops up. Pray for Ron and Sharon. Especially Sharon. And uh, that's because of Ron. That's because of Ron. Uh, Sharon, I meant that because of Ron, not you. Uh, if you're interested, it's a, great, it's a great way to remember to pray for each other, or to pray for me, and, for, and a reminder for me to pray for you. I need your prayers for my life and my teaching. You need my prayer 
to pray for you for steadfastness, for endurance, for faithfulness. For when your heart is feeling fickle and you want to drop out, that you stay strong. When you want to check out, that you check in. And, and, And I don't pray for every single one of you every single day, but I pray for you by name throughout the month, through my prayer app. I've done this with my children. I use this prayer app for my children to help me help remind me to pray for my I pray specifically for my children. Every single night I pray for every single one of my kids. And it's because as I as I've been convicted by the scriptures that a preacher needs to pray. Preacher doesn't need to prepare a sermon. Preacher needs to pray. He needs to pray for his church. And his church needs to pray for him. And it's interesting to me that that's how Paul wraps up chapter 2. He wraps up chapter 2 saying, pray for us. And I pray for you that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Indeed, let's pray. Father, uh, no, no earth-shattering, ground-breaking new truth today, but maybe a an important reminder that prayer is real. Prayer is significant. Prayer is not our last resort. It ought to be a, our first resort. Forgive me for my unbelief, for my laziness at times that I don't pray as I ought. Father, I need this church's prayers. You've told me I, in 2 Thessalonians 3, that I need their prayers. And you've now told them that I need their prayers. And Father, just as clearly as you've told me that, you've told me that I must always and continue to pray for them. And that indeed, you would direct their hearts into the love of God and to the endurance of Christ. Father, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reminded of, of, that, of that verse when Paul says, of all, all the things I experienced, I was in danger in sea, in danger in land, and I've been stoned five times, I've gone without food. And he said, on top of all of that, he said, my concern for the church and the churches. So, Father, we need preachers who are being prayed for, And maybe more than ever, we need preachers who are willing to pray for their churches. Father, may we be obedient and diligent in what You have revealed to us. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?